0: Visit successfulnonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And I think most listeners know that we batch record the podcast. And so this is the last podcast that we're recording today. And so The loyal listeners know that this is sometimes the podcast where we go a little bit wild and go a little bit off script. Keeping in line with that, we actually have someone who we were able to get into our lineup earlier this week, and I am super excited that we got her. And it's Dr. Barbara Van Dalen. She is a psychologist who... Has doing a lot of things right now. First of all, she is spearheading the Campaign to Change Direction, which is a public health effort to change the culture of mental health, not just in the United States, but worldwide. She also is the founder of Given Hour, which works with service members, veterans, and their families, once again, around mental health and gun violence and at-risk teens and those types of things. Now, I will share with you that she actually started Give An Hour back in 2005, and it has grown from obviously not existing to having over 7,000 licensed mental health professionals that provided over 277,000 hours of care and support to people in need. And I'm assuming they all gave an hour to make that happen, or probably, I could probably do the math here, I know it's a little bit late, but they all probably gave about 30 hours or 40 hours to make that happen. Dr. Van Dalen also has a very inspirational personal story and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna steal her thunder and tell that story I will tell you that she had a great piece in HuffPo where she kind of described it a little bit We're gonna link that in the show notes one more reason to go to the show notes So without further ado, it is just so my pleasure to introduce dr. Barbara Van Dalen. Barbara welcome to the podcast
1: Thank you, Dolph. It's delightful to be here, as, especially as your last guest. I look forward to things getting a little off script. This is great.
0: Yeah, well, let me tell you, we are far off script already because I think <laughs> I ad-libbed way more than I should have on the intro. I think you did great. Thank you. Well, well thank you. And again, thank you for, for joining. I'm thrilled that we that we have you with us today. Um, share with me, given hour, the origin story.
1: Sure. So um, I'm a child psychologist by background, and I also am the daughter of a veteran from World War II, and my uncle served in Vietnam. My nephew is currently serving in the Navy, and so I come from a long line of people who served our country, or in some cases are still serving. And I was living here in Washington, D.C. I moved here from California I was here, I had uh, private practice, and I was raising my two young daughters, and then 9-11 happened, and it was, for all of us, it was almost beyond description, the impact it had. I mean, here we were in Washington, the Pentagon was attacked, down, you know, literally in New York, where I travel regularly, horrific images coming to us, and I wanted to help, I wanted to, as a psychologist, I knew I had resources, skills to give to people who were traumatized on that horrible day, and I couldn't find a way to do it easily. I did what I could um, over that, the next several days and weeks um, helping my, my clients deal with their reaction to that horrific time. But it bothered me that I wanted to do more and there really wasn't a way to do it. So, over the next few months, I started to to really think more and more about my my desire to give back, to help. What could that look like? How could I do that? And I started to hear stories over the next few months about, you know, we were going to get into war, we got into the war. Started to hear about service members coming home, um, experiencing post-traumatic stress, losing their families, living out of cars. And I was still thinking about, you know, we've gotta get ready, we've gotta get ready to help these men and women who are serving our country, coming back with what later would be called the invisible injuries of war. So that was all in my head. And one day I was driving my mom van Uh, around where I live in Bethesda, Maryland, which is right outside of D.C., and I had my two daughters in the car with me. And my oldest daughter, who was nine at the time, uh, saw a homeless veteran on the street, and he was holding a sign that said, homeless vet, please help, God bless. And my daughter um, erupted with outrage and said, Mommy, how can we let this happen to these men who who served our country? She didn't know my dad, my dad passed away long before she was born, but she knew about him, she knew his story, and so this child who saw this injustice um, was calling it out. And so I said right then and there to myself, I can't just stand by and watch this happen. So I drove my mom van to Barnes and Noble, I pulled a copy of Nonprofits for Dummies, true story, read it from cover to cover. And, uh, that was the beginning of given hour. I thought, well, if I want to give an hour of my time a week, I'm sure there are other people like me. And that was how I began the organization.
0: So tell me a little bit more. It was, it was you and a book. Did you pull anyone else in?
1: I did at at that time. So for those of your listeners who don't know this about mental health professionals, we don't get a whole lot of training about business. I certainly had zero in terms of nonprofits. I just knew there was a thing, a nonprofit. I didn't really know the difference. And so that book was incredibly helpful for anyone who wants to start a nonprofit. And I just started working through it. And I started asking people who I knew who were good at other things, come and help me. And one of the things I did is I, I was inspired by Craigslist, so this is back in 2005, and I had this idea that if I could use the Craigslist model, Craigslist was this brilliant idea of matching people who had something to give with people who had something they wanted. And I thought, well, hey, I'll do that with mental health folks and connect them with, men- with people in the military and the, and the veteran community who had a mental health need. So I reached out to one person who I knew from my daughter's school, who was really uh, brilliant around technology, and he said, "Well, let's let's post let's post a ad on Craigslist. Speaking of Craigslist, and let's invite programmers to come out and help build this." So we posted it. I said, "Come to my house on this day," and about four programmers showed up and gave their time to build the first what was the first given hour, uh, platform using, um, open source software at that time, I was blown away. This was how they saw their ability to give back and help the men and women who were serving our country. It was amazing. So that's how we began.
0: And so I know one of the things that you talk about when you talk about, um, founding your nonprofit is understanding what you do really well and surrounding yourself with people who maybe um, fill in some of the gaps.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And I think that if I look back at, you know, what, what I've learned over the last 15 years, that is absolutely one of the most um, important lessons. And one of the happiest lessons that I've learned about myself is that um, I know what now, what I do well, and I know what I don't do well. And finding people who could fill those gaps, who were good at things like technology, it's still something that is, it is not my, gift but I value and respect and so to bring those people in business leaders um, people who are good with you know finance and and thinking about the operation side I'm good at the vision I'm good at the the solving the the situation with very simple response you know give an hour how do you how do you turn a complex Challenge into something that's very simple that everyone can understand and do and I'm a really good as my husband says I'm a really good evangelist when I believe in something I'm I'm able to inspire people But that alone would not get me very far So finding that team putting together a board of people who knew things that I didn't know has been key
0: You know and I think it is just so important that we're self-aware about what our strengths are as well as where our strengths are not and I also think that a lot of us reach a point, I think it often happens around midlife, but a lot of us reach a point that we're like, okay, I could spend more time getting less weak at the things I'm weak at, or I could just focus on the stuff I do really well and enjoy what I do from this point.
1: Yes, absolutely. Another thing that I've learned really well, and, and actually it was another organization that taught me this, but man, once they showed us, showed me this, I have adopted it and and I've become an evangelist about it. And that is... I've learned that when I'm hiring for a position inside the organization, so people sometimes, you know, they focus on, you gotta hire the person who has the best skills. And you hope that they also kind of are in tune with your philosophy and your perspective. And so you can make a grid and you can have people who are really good at the skills, not so good at the um, philosophy of the company or the organization, or not really good skills, but really great at the philosophy. And what I've found is, obviously, if you can find the people who are best with the skills and best with philosophy, great. But if I have to pick one over the other, it's going to be in line with the philosophy of the organization. Because if you've got somebody who's got great skills, but they are not in sync with you, you're really destined for a lot of problems, pain, trouble, whatever. Um, And that's been really critical. You, You need people that especially in the nonprofit space that are driven by the mission and have great skills too. But man, you want people that are lined up because this is hard work. Um, It's great work. It's the best work I've ever done, but uh, that's a really important lesson I've learned.
0: I could not agree more. It is so easy to teach skills, but you can't fix fit. Like if someone's just a bad fit, they're a bad fit regardless of where they are in the organization, whether they're your chief executive or they're your front desk person.
1: Absolutely. It's and. Our our organization, another thing unique about given Hour, from the beginning, we have been a virtual organization. We were a virtual organization before it was cool to be a virtual organization, and we grew into a virtual organization completely organically by need. So I was a single mom raising two little girls, and I knew a lot of really brilliant women who were out of the workforce as they were raising their kids. That's how we knew each other. But they were really skilled, really talented. And I said, hey, I want you to come work with me. I'm building this nonprofit. And they said, well, that's great, but I've got my kids. Can't really do that. And I said, well, yeah, you can. You can do it when they're at school in the evenings. And so we grew up that way. Even more important that you have a good fit because you don't have the day-to-day contact with someone that you might in a, in a bricks and mortar
0: place. So I wish that Faye, who linked this, had told me that you are a 100% virtual organization because I have been looking for the last four or five months for a completely remote workforce that's a nonprofit organization because I I just I'm really fascinated by that and I want to see what they're doing. I'm going to have to dive down this well with you for a minute. What technologies and structures have you used so that your workforce is, I hate to say workable, but so that your workforce is workable being 100% remote?
1: So in the beginning, we started very low tech. You know, it was like we did. um, We've always done a weekly, we started a weekly staff call, and then we moved to biweekly based on we realized that as we got bigger, then some of the teams would meet in the off weeks. And then we move to um, Google Hangouts, and then we moved to Zoom, and then we've moved to whatever the platform is that my team feels is the best for us to use. But we have a uh, every other week we have a, a staff call, or and now it's a visual um, where everybody's on together; they can see each other. Um, we do do retreats periodically where we bring everyone in. That's people love it. The team loves it. We're very focused on using uh, smart sheets and tools that people can add to and use to be efficient and share their, their concepts, their ideas easily. We do a lot of teaming around handling challenges that come up. We're very much, I think, more than a bricks and mortar. We're very, very dependent on the team because we don't see each other. So if I know something, that someone else in my team may not have heard, I'm gonna make sure that that person gets it. It's it's as much the culture, really, as it is the technology that we have developed to make sure it works. And it works beautifully, and people sometimes when they come in, they're a little like reluctant. I, I gotta tell you, this is totally true, typically it's more the guys, that women are more comfortable because they're used to, I think, stepping in and out of roles, whether it's raising kids or in their families or whatever, Men often are like, whoa, wait, dude, I don't have an office to go to. (laughs) And so we tell them, I guess it's another part too: set up your office in your space, make sure that and some of our people have chosen to use shared office space. That's totally fine. Many create a space in their own um, homes. That's fine. But we mentor and coach them. Once they're comfortable, I guarantee they wouldn't give it up.
0: Are all of your staff in the DC metro area or all over the country? All over the country so how do you manage those retreats like how many times a year what does it look like we typically only
1: do them once every couple of years because frankly that's a big expenditure for us often what we'll do is uh, after it's been a couple of years unless we've had sometimes we'll use an event that maybe we're hosting in DC to bring everybody in because we have people have to work the event and so it's a great opportunity Sometimes it will be that a couple of years have gone by and we haven't had a retreat. And so then we'll go to our board and say, we need a retreat. And we'll ask them to fund the retreat or to add additional funding in so that we're able to do that. So we get clever about how we do it, but we typically only do full retreats with everyone coming in a couple of, every, every couple of years. Right.
0: And so and I've, I've mentioned to you, and part of it is I'm essentially a solopreneur, but you know, I, um, I work in an office in our home but I'm also on the road 80% of the time, I do know that when I transitioned from having, you know, from when I was an executive director and actually at that point I had two offices, one office in two different buildings. So, you know, I had a total of two offices. Uh, So I went from having two offices to working at home and it was a little bit of a transition. So how do you help people with that transition?
1: It's interesting. And as I said, it's some people have a harder transition. I think probably... I, I'm trying to think back over the 15 years. I don't I don't think we've lost any staff because of that. I think that some staff have had a longer time learning it. The mentoring is really important. And for some of our staff that are in the same city, encouraging them um, to get together periodically, that really matters. Doing the video, like you and I can see each other now for this. That's really valuable, really important. They get to know each other's body language and styles and they share the way they would if they were in an office setting. Um, But I gotta tell you, once people get in in sync and get into the the hang of it, it, it's really a non-issue. In fact, I, I think that's why Faye didn't mention it because it's really not something that we lead with unless I start thinking about the history because it began that way for us. And people now who come to work for us end up really loving and valuing the flexibility that it gives them, the ability that it gives them. We're a very family-friendly organization, meaning, and if if your listeners think about it, it totally makes sense. we got to walk the walk. We're all about mental health. So if you come to me and you say, you know, my daughter is sick and I need to take time off today to go take care of her, the answer is absolutely. Make sure things are covered and do it at night. And people, I think, What we know, too, from good research is that people who are working in a virtual space, they, in a way, take their work more seriously, that this is on me. I have to get done what I need to get done. And then I have the flexibility and the luxury to be in my home attending to life. So it works for us.
0: One of the other huge benefits, and at least I believe one of the perceived benefits, so I should ask you if this is a benefit is, I think it really dramatically increases your talent pool as well. So if you can't find the person you need in Washington, D.C., where you're headquartered, you know they might be in Topeka, Kansas, or they might be in Los Angeles, California. But literally, when you're looking for someone, you, you can look nationally.
1: Absolutely. And because our organization is national, it, it's totally natural for us. There are certain positions we look for by geography, or you know geographic region, if it's a like for example, if we have a large grant that we're doing in Texas, we need somebody on the ground in Texas. But if it's a position that can be like they're overseeing marketing or they're overseeing PR or they're overseeing our website, that can be anybody anywhere. And it, it really allows us to have that flexibility. And it's it's actually I think kind of cool because it's fresh too. People will bring in perspectives that are an East Coast perspective or a California perspective or a Rocky Mountain perspective. It's very valuable for us.
0: So with that level of flexibility, there also has to be, I would imagine, a lot more accountability.
1: Yes. I, and again, I'll go back to probably the second most important thing I've learned, and that is make sure that your culture is firmly established. And we're doing this even now more and more overt stated. We're actually, this is one of the things that that we're working on currently as a management team, making our principles um, very uh, clear to everyone, helping everyone see how our principles are connected to the work we do every single day, and how what you do helps us drive our values. All of that is so, so important. And I think because we do a pretty darn good job of that, I don't worry too much about accountability. The director of each team that's their job and they take that on but we haven't really we haven't had a lot of trouble with that i think i certainly would say we have probably less less difficulty with that than a lot of bricks and mortars again because i think people they they take this privilege very seriously if you trust me enough that you are not worried about me getting my job done and you can't see me and i don't you know punch in every day they seem to really rise to the occasion which we think is really wonderful.
0: Nice. Have you have you had one significant challenge or two significant challenges with a remote workforce?
1: I would say that the one is that sometimes it's scary for some people. Men more than women, uh, definitely. And so we may have not gotten a candidate, you know, to to sign on the dotted line, he, he or she may have chosen elsewhere because they were a little uneasy. That, I think, has happened a couple of times. I can't really think of another downside, other than maybe the staff sometimes will say they wish they could be together more. They like each other. They form relationships. And if they're across the country, they don't get to see each other. They don't get to hang out. We don't get to do picnics. So that's probably the other the. Other
0: other challenge got it got it although i will say and this is a decade ago now i was on a national board and we would have quarterly in-person meetings and then we'd meet monthly in between but we would do it remotely and we all just really came to cherish those quarterly meetings because you know for the most part we've left our home so we're not with our families and Mm -hmm. you know we're really getting to know someone for a two or three day period and Mm -hmm. that was just a really powerful experience
1: I think that's right. I think what we we see that at our retreats, that you see people bonding and and sometimes people will have never met, you know, they've never they've been maybe on seeing each other by Skype, but they've never been in the same room together. And they start noticing things about, oh, wow, you know, you carry the same kind of phone that I do or that they they bond and it and it is a very precious time. So it's special. and, And that that helps people, I think, as you said really value even more the the shared mission that we have
0: i understand that you also have a unique leadership journey with given hour
1: do you mean in terms of of how i started or how it's evolved
0: oh yeah so how it's evolved and what roles you've chosen to play and not play as it's evolved
1: yes when i again because i had no really very little experience as a in a non, in the nonprofit space i'm a clinical psychologist i had a solo practice People came into my office and then they left. And that was it. So when I started the organization and was choosing, you know, well, what what title do I want? I chose executive director because that seemed to be I would look around and go, okay, well, that's that's, I'm an executive director. And one day, a very um, influential friend who is a very, very successful business person took me aside and said, we need to change your title. And she said, you're the founder of this organization. You are the visionary of this organization. You can either be a CEO or you can be a president. But executive director suggests it's a really, it's a very well-respected title, but it suggests that you took over and you're directing something. It's different. And that was a really important lesson. And so um, it was also part of my own, it's cool you use the word journey. I think it was also the part of me stepping into my role as a leader as a visionary kind of owning it um and recognizing that i have skills and abilities um that are are not garden variety and in order to lead well it's also important that i own those and so um that was a that was a good lesson for me to learn
0: and it's interesting i There's one organization I've worked with and they've really struggled because they have a a founding executive director and there have been times that they've played with the idea of referring to the person as the founding director as opposed to executive director for that very reason because ED implies that you stepped in after somebody else.
1: Exactly, and which is fine and important. And often executive directors put a huge stamp and change the direction, totally fine, but if you're the founder... It tells something else to the world, um, to your donors, to your partners. It's just an important designation that, that I, I I completely understand why she was telling me I was not leveraging everything about me as an asset. And that's really what we as leaders in this space need to do. You've got to leverage everything you've got because this is hard work.
0: So now I've got to ask you about campaign to change direction. Now, is this a program of given Hour or have you decided to start an additional nonprofit?
1: That is a darn good question. It is an initiative of given Hour. It is a public health initiative. It is a collective impact effort. So we have about 700 organizations that work with us in various ways, but it is our initiative. Um, and in some ways, it is the umbrella of all that we do. And given an Hour is the direct service component. So it's an interesting issue in that it's kind of, Uh, backwards, if you will, we did start I started given hour first and the public health initiative, which is focused on changing the culture of mental health globally, is very broad and very big. But it also grew organically out of what we needed to do next. And I'm okay with that.
0: Yeah, I was just curious. I'm like, wow, is Barbara just a glutton for punishment? She wants to start (laughs) two nonprofits. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know.
0: But I also understand that you have also started your own podcast.
1: I have. And that actually grew out of, again, organically, I guess I kind of do things that kind of make sense when they make sense. So I actually had a, uh, I met, I was asked to be a guest um, on a Sirius XM program a few years ago. And one of the producers said, I really love your perspective, the work you're doing. How about if you do a show with us here at Sirius XM? I did a few uh, episodes with them. He then left the um left Sirius XM. And so Sirius XM said, Well, your producer's gone, so we love what you're doing, but we don't have anybody to fill in. And I said, Okay. And I had plenty to do. So I went on about my business. Well, a few months later, the producer reached out to me that I had worked with, and he said, I'm starting um a pod- some podcasts, and I would like you to be one of the podcasts that we launch. Would you be willing? And I said, Absolutely. So now I um, just finished our the first episode, the first season of Inner Space, which is uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, experience for me. I get to invite all these amazing people that I meet and bring them on, and we have cool conversations about what I care most about, with which is emotional health and well-being, what they care about. We've had uh, people from the music industry. from Hollywood. I also consult to a television show. We've had the creator of the television show, actors, politicians, you name it. They've been on the show to talk about what is a part of all of our lives, our emotional health and
0: well-being. I love that. And I also have to share with you that much like you, one of the things I love about having a podcast is I get to have amazing conversations with people who I would just not otherwise probably even come into contact with. I mean, people like you. And I mean, I just I look back because again, this is my last interview of the day. And I look back on everyone today. And I'm just like, you know, today, I I got to talk to five life changers, world changers, just really, like, it's awe inspiring.
1: Oh, you're very kind. But it is cool. I totally agree. And what we're hearing from people listening, and I'm sure you do too, that people love the opportunity to have that intimate sort of, they feel like they're part of that conversation. They learn things, they're inspired, gives them new ideas to go out and change the world themselves. And that's what we need more of. We need people out there changing the world because our, our world is, is hurting and we, we need everybody doing as much as they can.
0: Absolutely. That is a great segue to the off the map question.
1: Oh, I love this. Okay, I'm ready.
0: I typically walk in with some ideas for an off the map question, and I really just do not have one. And I, I think <laughs> I've got it. I th- really think I've got it. So, Barbara, you do so much to heal and change the world, and to heal and change lives. So, you know, you're a psychologist. You started a nonprofit, which has kind of really started another nonprofit that will soon become the umbrella. <laughs> You're, you got it. <laughs> you know, you're you're a podcaster helping people find their own inner space. So this again might be an odd question, oh, I hope is not intrusive. What do you do for you?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I love that question. So I've done a lot of things for myself over the years. Um, I one thing that has been part of my my self care has always been something physical. I'm I, I used to run until my knees started to go. Um, I used to, way back when I did um, you know, aerobics, when aerobics were kind of the thing, um, I did yoga, but I've always had something that I do that is intense physically, because those endorphins start going, they kind of melt away the stress, um, and now I swim. I swim about a mile three times a week if I can, and the cool thing is I listen to music while I swim. So I've got really cool, I used to have the um, an iPod that you could, it was an underwater iPod, and now there's a new iteration of that that I use. Um, and that keeps me really centered, keeps me physically feeling good. Um, and the other thing that I do is I meditate um, not as often anymore as when I first practiced, but what I always do is um, keep myself very mindful. I try to be in the moment with whoever I'm with, Um, I tune into what I'm thinking and feeling. And when I'm feeling um, agitated or distressed or sad, I let that be. And then I swim when I can to make sure that I'm, you know, got the whole body thing going. (laughs) So I love that question. Thank you. That makes me very happy. It's a great thing to focus on.
0: I love the fact that you listen to music when you swim. And when you said that, I really thought, and I think this a couple times a day, we live in such a miraculous time. Yes. You know, like a hundred years ago, the idea of hearing music in your head when you were underwater, people, people <laughs> would think that there was like, that you had like head injury or Genius. something like that. Right. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like this is a problem. This is a real problem. So we just live in such a miraculous time.
1: Well, that's a very optimistic thought. Yes. And I think in this day and age where we're bombarded by so much that's not, that's not easy to, to, to absorb remembering that, that we do live in a miraculous time. There are so many opportunities. There are so many great tools. It should give us all hope, you know, that anything out there that's, that's frightening, scary, toxic, we, we can do a lot together. We can, we can solve these big challenges before us. So thank you.
0: I'm right there with you. I feel like never before as a society have we had so many solutions in front of us. Absolutely. We so, got to pick them up and use them. Yes, we got
1: to do them and we got to talk about them and you, you're helping us do that. So thank you for the platform.
0: Thank you so much, Barbara. Again, I am so thrilled that you've been with us today. I want to make sure our listeners know all the many ways that they can see, read and hear you. So obviously, Inner Space is the name of your podcast and people can get that on their favorite streaming app of choice, the soon to be gone iTunes, Stitcher, what you know, whatever wherever you like to get your podcasts. GivenHour.org, which was the organization you started in 2005. Um, so, if you want to know more about give an Hour, or I will say, we also have a number of people who are uh, licensed clinicians that listen to the show. So, if you want to give an hour, go to givenhour.org. Yeah, be part of the solution. And then finally, changedirection.org. So, whether you're a nonprofit advocate, a clinician, or just someone who cares about mental health in our world, visit changedirection.org. Hey, Barbara. That just thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Dolph. Thank you again for the opportunity. I love your questions. I love the conversation. And maybe when I build something else, I'll come back.
0: That would be awesome. I'd love that.
1: <laughs> thank you.
0: Hey, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. If you missed any of Barbara's URLs, or if you want more information about her podcast, we will have links to all of that at our show notes at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. So head on over there if you missed any of those URLs, or if you want to get the link to the podcast. Thank you so much, listeners, for joining today. This is pretty much our show for the week, and I just lost my pop filter, so you heard quite a bad pop, too, toward the end of our show for this week. So thank you for joining us. Dear listeners, I hope that you have gained some insight that will help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment.